When we share someone's story here on The Diaries, the episode might end, but their story doesn't. So many of the people we've talked to, they've gone on to do incredible things. They have epic adventures and make significant impacts in our community. Over on Diaries Plus, we're catching up with some of our former guests to see what they've been up to. I recently sat down with Connor Ryan, a Lakota professional skier from our Sacred Slopes episode, who's been knocking out groundbreaking projects ever since the episode aired. It's really incredible. We had a great discussion about the impacts he's made, what keeps his fire burning, and taking ski lessons as a pro skier. Here's a snippet of the conversation. All the source of joy that I use to fill my cup to be out in the world doing positive things comes from my relationship to the outdoors. And so I really focused on like, wow, like there's so much power if I can give one person the relationship to the outdoors that that I have through skiing. And maybe that will have as profound of an effect on them as it's had on me. To listen to the full episode, use the link in the show notes to subscribe to Diaries Plus today. Yeah, you get more shows, but you also have a peace of mind of powering what's out there right now, keeping us moving forward, keeping this community together. So thank you for everyone who supported and everyone who's going to support. We appreciate it. Sitting still is not my forte. In school, I would get in trouble for endlessly wiggling and chatting and even singing. As an adult, my mind never turns off, bouncing from thought to thought, all on its own accord. I've tried many different remedies to quiet my overactive mind, like meditation and various substances, but by far, the best fix is movement. Climbing, mountain biking, skiing, any fast-paced sport that requires unwavering attention is the most effective. And the higher the risk, the higher the reward. The repetitive movements of my body paired with the requirement of deep concentration focuses my mind. Throw a little nature in there, and finally... I can breathe. I can think. Movement gives me space for my mind, soul, and breath to sink rhythmically and to just exist. No anxiety, no fidgeting, no struggling to catch my own thoughts before they leave my head. It's just me and the mountains working together to create momentary peace. To say I use movement as a coping mechanism is an understatement. I often find myself turning to the solace of the mountains to process big life things. Bad day at work? Get out and climb. Rough family issues? Hop on that bike. Feeling down? Hit the trails. Anything life throws at me, I can handle with one step, one pedal, or one breath at a time. And I know I'm not the only one. I have found a movement-obsessed community in the outdoor world. People just like me, 
struggling to keep depression, anxiety, or simply the monotony of life at bay with the adventure of moving in the mountains. I often joked with my friends that it's time for therapy anytime we got together to climb or bike. Because to me, that's what it is. Mountain therapy. I grew up in Utah, spending my time running wild in the vast and rugged Wasatch Mountains and the hot, sandy rocks of southern Utah. But it was only a matter of time before my anxious brain told me to go, go, go. So I went. Up to Alaska, backpacking across endless foreign lands, driving cross-country just because. It's an exciting life full of adventure and beauty, but it comes with a dark side. Bouncing around from place to place can often feel very ungrounding, lonely, detached even. I often found myself floating untethered with no sense of home or belonging. After a few years, I found myself aching for something more, something a little more stable and a little less fly by the seat of my pants. So I packed up my things and headed back to my roots to find a sense of home. And I did. I found Alex. Alex was like a breath of fresh air. He was silly and dancy and just so full of life. He was kind and real and heavens. He was beautiful. He loved to challenge anyone near him with ridiculous rap battles and to scare innocent, unsuspecting people whenever they rounded a corner. It's me. I'm innocent and unsuspecting. He had this enormous, never-ending appetite, not just for tacos or for pizza, but for the outdoors. He was a full-on, ride-or-die kind of dude. If I was ever struggling in any way, he would always repeat his favorite sentiment, I got you. And he did. Best of all, Alex was just like me. He loved to move. He was an avid climber and mountain biker. He aimed to spend his days scaling craggy rock walls and winding around techie mountain trails at terrifying speeds. We made plans to save some money, build out his truck, and hit the road. Climbing and biking on our way to, honestly, wherever we wanted to go. Because as cheesy as it sounds... Everywhere felt like home when I was with Alex. It was summer in Utah. We had to take full advantage of the dry heat and long summer days. We planned a multi-sport day, a self-proclaimed holiday. We played hooky from work to do all of our favorite outdoor activities instead. It was a gorgeous bluebird day in early July. The morning had started with racing each other down local flow trails on our mountain bikes, huffing and puffing on the rocky technical uphills, all for a chance to let loose and rip down the trail, hooting and hollering the whole way. Speed was the name of the game, 
But no matter how hard I pushed myself or my bike, Alex was always ahead, audibly having fun as he skidded around each berm with dirt spraying theatrically behind him. I affectionately called him Full Send Alex. And for good reason. He loved to ride fast and climb hard. I felt lucky to be a part of it, even if I was left in his dust 90% of the time. Once we had our fill of flow lines and switchbacks, we packed up the truck and headed south to wrap up the day with ropes and draws. Alex and I were climbing in Maple Canyon, a small local canyon just south of Salt Lake City made up of cobbly conglomerate rock. The summer heat was thick and intoxicating, forcing us to pick routes graced by shade, hoping that the rocks wouldn't be completely hot and slimy as we worked our way up the wall. I was gearing up to lead a route just outside my comfort level. Listen, Alex said with a chuckle as he checked my knot in my harness. Once you get past the first bolt, whatever you do, don't fall. The first section of the route was incredibly run out. Taking a fall without clipping into that second bolt would almost certainly result in a crash landing into unforgiving rocks. The belayer would be all but helpless. Psh, don't fall. I scoffed. You'd catch me, right? I knew full well that this would be next to impossible if I didn't make the second bolt. Alex just laughed. Of course, he said. I got you. I eyed the route, taking a few deep breaths. I tried not to think about how the heat had likely turned these smooth rocks into slippery, unreliable holds. With a final purposeful exhale, I started my ascent. I eased into it rhythmically pulling my way up the wall. First clip, done. Not that it did me any good. Now on to that squirrely second bolt, then I'm home free and I can take as many breaks as my heart desires. I continued up, feeling that familiar calm as I muttered positive thoughts, doing my best to keep my anxious brain at bay. I made my way to a slimy undercling, just inches from that elusive second bolt. I fumbled with my draw, finally reaching up to clip in. As I reached down to grab the rope, my left hand started to give. I dropped the rope and started to go for that greasy undercling with my right hand, and the second I reached out, my left hand slipped again. Shit, 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 I whispered getting louder with each expletive as I realized that my grip was failing. And that's it. I was falling. Sometimes a fall can feel like it's in slow motion, but not this fall. This one was fast and explosive. With no time to think, I just closed my eyes and waited for the crunch of my bones on the sharp rocks below. The rope abruptly snapped taut against my body weight, whipping my limbs violently with the momentum of the fall. My eyes were still squeezed shut, bracing myself for the pain that must surely be on the way. But the crunch never came. 
I peeked an eye open and assessed the situation. Alex had somehow miraculously moved fast enough to catch my fall on the first bolt. I was mere inches from serious injury. I looked over at Alex, and for a beat, we both just stared, open-mouthed and incredulous at what had just happened. We shared a nervous laugh, something to break the tense air that comes with narrowly missing catastrophe. See, what did I tell you? He said as his green eyes glistened. I got you. I always got you. We spent the summer in this way, cheating death on our adventures, lazily fishing in the rivers and lakes, and just enjoying the mountains and the warm summer air. Life was good, and I was home. I woke to the sound of my phone ringing early one morning. I answered groggily, thinking it was Alex with his usual shenanigans. All I heard was Alex's friend, in a rush, telling me something bad had happened to Alex. What does that mean, something bad? His friend rattled off details, but the message rang true in my ears. Alex died. Alex is dead. And just like that, I was falling. But this time, there was no one there to catch me. I was told no one could have done anything. It was a heart defect, something no one knew he had, not even Alex. Apparently, the worst possible thing for this heart defect was movement. It feels so cruel. The thing that we did every single day for our physical and mental health had actually been the thing that had slowly killed him. The following weeks were a blur as the word spread to my friends and family. How do you tell people that your person died? How do you find the right words? I tried many different phrases, but none of them seemed to fit. I started with a simple sentiment. He died. It's honest and to the point, but it always ended up coming out harsh and scratchy. So then I tried a softer approach with, he passed away. It has a much more respectful air to it, but it always felt vague and hollow. Like, what is away, anyway? The term away implies that it's not a forever thing. It's something that's reversible. It's the casual term often thrown around in offices, like, I'll be away from my desk, or away on vacation. But Alex was gone, gone, not just away. As usual, I ended up coping with comedy and settled on, he ghosted me. It's amusing, it's accurate, and it's unnecessarily dark. 
I was consistently met with an awkward silence, a grimace, or a look of just plain horror. Turns out people don't really respond well to dead boyfriend jokes, but at least Alex would have appreciated the dark humor. I went through the motions of listening to condolences, enduring countless tears and hugs, while I continued to fall, down, down, down. For me, grief is anything but stagnant. It's sudden and forceful movement. It's an all-encompassing, unwelcome guest that's here to stay. It's pain, denial, anger, love, more pain, all coated with an endless and impossibly heavy ache. Alex was dead, and I ached. I plunged into this new rhythm of grief. I sold everything and moved into my truck and just started to drive with nowhere in particular in mind. My home was gone, and I was uncomfortable everywhere, especially in my own skin and definitely with my own thoughts. So I did the only thing I knew to do. I drove around the West, meeting up with our friends to be outside and attend mountain therapy. But now, the familiar movements that I had done so many times to calm my mind and heart only brought chaos and pain. Each activity brought a flood of memories that would land heavy on my chest and my limbs would refuse to move. My heart would get tight. My breath would turn sharp and shallow and I'd be frozen. I met up with Alex's best friend on the road. We traveled together, climbing and biking along the way. The days would almost always be cut short due to my new panic attacks. Each night, we'd set up a fire and tell the wild tales of full send Alex, laughing until we cried, all too aware of the empty seat next to the fire where Alex should have been. I crawled into my open truck bed, sleep eluding me as my mind whirred on a loop. I stared up at the cosmos, quietly willing Alex to come back, even if it was just for a moment. That familiar ache built in my chest and I squeezed tears out of my eyes. I whispered out loud, I can't do this without you. Suddenly, my exhausted brain went quiet and my aching heart calmed. The stars seemed to sparkle a little brighter and warm wind picked up and swirled around me, flicking my stray hair across my face. I closed my eyes, intently listening to the sounds of the night, and I swore. I heard Alex whisper back, I got you. My name is Tressa, and this is my short. Thank you, Tressa, for sharing your story. Our stories come from friends, from friends of friends, and from you, our community. If you have a compelling idea for a guest or story, please give us a shout. You can use the submission form on our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. 
Music today from Alabasi, Kai Engel, John Barry, and Brennan O'Connell. The tracks are courtesy of the artist, Free Music Archive, and Track Club. Jacob Bain and Nice Koto composed our theme song. You can find the links to the artists at our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. This episode was produced by Lauren Delaney Miller with additional production help from Becca Cahal. Becca Cahal is our executive producer. I'm Fitz Cahal, and you've been listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. Thanks for tuning in.